Danny. And here we are, episode 64. Yeah, man. Of Fried Squirms. Fried Squirms 64. Definitely sounds like a video game I would have been all over oh, in the, the mid to late 90s. Because <laughs> everything for the N64 pretty much had 64 after the name. That's pretty interesting, yeah. I like that. If this podcast would have been made during that time period, the Hotmail <laughs> probably oh would have gosh. been Fried Squirm 64, so we would have been one of the cool kids. That's pretty awesome. That would have been I'm our sure. AOL handle. Yeah. <laughs> and so many screen names that I've fought on video games over the years that has been this person 64 underscore 007 nice underscore 69 sometimes you have to do it yeah makes sense fuck your mom (laughs) (laughs) or some variation of that no that's awesome fuck your mom 64 (laughs) it's funny so yeah, this is our 64th episode, and we have a special one today as well. It's an acronym named TITLE, which is interesting. Well, I guess we can get into the, the whole oh, meeting shit. later. I mean, but look, if they're listening to the episode, it's part of the episode title. So we're yeah. covering Chud today. Yeah, it's Chud from 1984. We're getting a Chud. Oh, I'm getting a Chud just thinking about it. <laughs> so let me think. Do you have any news from the week? I mean, I mentioned to you, you know, can't help but getting into the collecting mode. Haven't been going too crazy, but there's a couple of films I picked up. Just looking forward to them. Outside of that, just getting caught up on Helsing a little bit, trying to get caught up on Ash versus Evil Dead, you know, just stuff like that. So just last night, as I went to watch the movie, I realized that my new TV, being that it has built-in Roku, there's a fucking Shutter app. It's awesome. I subscribe to Shutter. I know oh, you yeah. subscribe I to do. Shutter. So I can just stream my fucking shutter to my fucking TV. And that's awesome. So that's probably going to up my horror viewing for the next year. And there's a lot of really good films on Shudder. I know we're kind of giving them a plug, but it's true. I have a lot of films hey, on my Shutter, playlist. If you want to come fucking like back us, we'll plug you all the time because oh, I'd have no problem plugging service, it. So yeah, I'm a big fan, huge fan. A little bit of spoiler, I suppose, but I listened to a podcast that had the Nerdist himself, Chris Hardwick, on it. And he had mentioned Shudder, and the reason why, he said that he watches a lot of horror films. He's a real big horror buff. He and his wife like it because of the way that they categorize their catalog of films. Mm-hmm. He said a lot of services don't do that. They just kind of throw them all in the same kind of pile together. So you have to sift through a lot of, you know, whether you want slashers, if you want, what have you, Supernatural, et cetera, et cetera. It's like that's the way that Shutter categorizes and catalogs their films. So you can find exactly what you're looking for under their, their catalog. Yeah, during, it's easy. Uh, under the different subgenres. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as we've found before as we've browsed the website and stuff. But I didn't have any way of really watching it. Outside uh, of on Outside of my computer, computer before. Yeah. I mean, I could have streamed it on my fucking phone. Yeah, it's and I have, I mean, I have a good phone. You have the we same phone. We and I phone. have the same phone, yeah. You have the same phone. It's got a great screen. I agree. I watch a lot of big. YouTube on it's it. Like a, it might as well be a mini tablet, to be honest. But True. I just, I've never been a person to get into really streaming shit on my phone yet. I don't like fall asleep with like Netflix in my hand. I don't either. My Netflix is out on my, <laughs> on my TV or on my computer. Generally not on my computer. I like watching stuff on my TV whenever yeah. I can. I'm right there with you, man. But it's really cool that you do have access to the Roku, which gives you access to Shutter now on your TV. I'm so happy. Hell yeah. I mean, it's just made everything about doing this podcast way simpler. Yeah, for it's just kind day. of dumbing it down for both of us, man. It's awesome. And I mean, that's part of the reason I upgraded my TV, to be honest. I kind yeah. of figured, like, I made... Ha- okay, 
So I pretty much just watch TV all the time anyway. <laughs> but considering the fact that I made watching something as like something I have to do every week, I was like, well, then I deserve to be watching it. Why not? Something. Yeah. So, yay me. Anyway. Nice. Um, other than that, yeah, I don't really have any news, though. Yeah, nothing really horror anyway, that's for sure. I went and saw the new Pacific Rim. Did you like it? I dug it. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Talking about that one's going to be hard for me because it is not as good as the first one, but it is also everything I kind of wanted it to be. So, okay. Ooh, yeah. It's weird because it's a movie <laughs> that I'm going to have a hard time talking about without me sounding like I'm ripping it apart because no, you're just there's being a honest. lot of shallowness to the movie, but it also did a lot of things that I've been hoping it would do for literally two years now. So, okay. Well, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear your take on it. Overall, I mean, I, I loved it, though. I, I'm a little bit biased. Definitely grew up on, like, like large mech genre. I was a huge Power Rangers kid, nice. uh, VR Troopers, that sort of thing, Voltron. And so, like, giant mechs versus giant monsters. <laughs> so the first Pacific Rim, I definitely cried in the theater because it touched my inner eight-year-old just that much. This one, I didn't cry. I rolled a tear, though. It had okay. one shot where I was just like... It hit just like childhood so hard that I was just like, couldn't even help it. Just, oh, awesome. Nice. Uh, Definitely worth a watch, though. It's fun. Like, I mean, if all you need it to be is giant fucking robots punching other giant robots and giant monsters, it's exactly that in fucking spades. So, yeah, I know. That'll be fun, man. I've seen the first one. I do need to see the new one. And otherwise, I'm just patiently waiting on the new far cry to show up this week yeah you had mentioned that because it's set in montana yeah we might have a little something to say about that so (laughs) it might be fucking video game related and not horror but expect at least probably like two more updates on the game as i can pair it to you know growing up in fucking rural montana so awesome (laughs) just because i don't you know Whatever, I'm going to fucking make you guys listen to it. I'm not going to ever make it more than, like, two minutes. So, like, nope, it's capturing it right on. Or, oh, they fucked up here, but... but no, that'd be kind of neat to see what, how they incorporate maybe their idea of their vision of what Montana is in a video game format. Um, shit, other than that, I think we should probably just get into the guts and bolts of I'm Chud. I'm ready for Chud. Yeah, let's get right down in the deep sewer systems mm. of Chud. <laughs> I like it. and bolts where if you've never been with us before we sort of talk about the people that went into the making of this movie and where you might have seen some of their work before because you know that matters sometimes yeah it's fun i've definitely watched movies just because i was like oh shit i like this actor or oh shit i like this director exactly oh shit didn't this composer work on this movie cool well i know at least the soundtrack will be good yeah so you know the inner workings of the film which is really cool But let's start with the synopsis. Yes, I think that's a good idea. Oh, also, Guts and Bolts tends to remain spoiler-free. Okay, cool. Synopsis. So, synopsis for Chud. 
a bevy of New York residents' yeah. lives start to revolve around the fact that monsters seem to be coming up from the sewers. I think that's as basic as we can get with a, a brief synopsis, right? I mean, it's not really a giveaway to say monsters no. are coming up from the sewers because you see the goddamn chud. I mean, it's on the, the poster, man. On the poster, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, monsters are coming up from the sewers, cover-ups, and shit ensue. Yes. Early 1980s. <laughs> In the 80s. 1980s New York, which... Not a good time for New York, not necessarily. No, and from what I understand, doesn't quite exist anymore. Like, it certainly does this not. This is a New York that only exists in film. I've never been over that way myself, but it's kind of interesting to note the differences between the ways everything is portrayed yeah. and the ways that it has been rebuilt in some ways and this and that. So Yeah, no, I was in New York. I worked in Manhattan in... The fall of 2003, yeah, 2003, through early spring of 2004. So I was there for about eight or nine months. And I can say, in my experience in Manhattan, mostly from, say, like 100th Street all the way down to the Battery, which is as far down as Manhattan as you can get before you get into the waters. <laughs> the Manhattan I knew in the early 2000s was pretty nice. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was right after the attacks and all that stuff, so I did see... The actual site and the devastation that was left behind is pretty fucking massive. But I had a good time in New York, and it looks quite different than, like I said, than the New York depicted in this particular movie. Which is weird because when I think of New York, the New York that's shown in this movie is what I think of because there's a, so many movies from my childhood that depicted New York. Makes and even, sense. Even early 90s New York was still pretty close to what we're seeing in this movie. I would agree to a lot of extents. I think after a certain time, you know, there was a lot of cleanup. There was massive reconstructuring. So when a lot I think of, of New York, well, my brain first goes to like Ninja Turtles, New York. <laughs> yeah. And then I dial it forward <laughs> to like, oh, wait, I've seen like modern New York and like Spider-Man. So, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting how New York City does get portrayed through certain films, media, etc., and in different time periods, too, it's a, it's a whole different beast altogether. I, I guess that's just a long way of saying the New York. and the, Like, this New York doesn't exist, but I felt very at home in it, even yeah. though I've never been to New it's York. A it's a part of our childhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, understandable. At that time period, too, New York was kind of sleazy in the 1980s. <laughs> so keep that in mind, too, <laughs> when you watch this film. But the interesting thing, like I said, about this film are the people in it, and I think it might be a good way to kind of segue into some of the people behind the scenes, and I'll start off with our director, who is Douglas Cheek, and Douglas Cheek, I've got a few credits, not a whole lot, but he worked on, I think it's a 1976 TV series called Vegetable Soup, he was also a part of Empires, Peter and Paul, and the Christian Revolution, which is a TV movie documentary. So I think he did a lot of those types of productions a little bit later on in his career. Okay. Okay, so the writers for this film are two gentlemen. The first person wrote the screenplay. From the director of Chud. Yeah. Your latest Bible adventure. <laughs> Peter, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> yeah, man, go figure. There's probably a good reason why he went this that direction. Time, <laughs> this time they're not just drinking the blood of Christ. Oh, that's They're funny. eating his legs and organs, too. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's funny, man. 
Okay, so our screenplay was written by Parnell Hall. Parnell Hall, you might recognize because they've worked on the video game as a character, which is funny. It's Chud character in Tony Hawk's Underground. So they did the voice acting for that. Shepard Abbott wrote the story for this. They were also in Tony Hawk's Underground as a character, which I thought was kind of funny. So they were incorporated in the video game as a Chud character. So both those gentlemen are responsible for the script and the story. Our cinematographer is Peter Stein. Peter Stein was the cinematographer for Friday the 13th Part 2, the ABC After School Specials from 1981 through 1985, our cinematographer on Ernest Saves Christmas, cinematographer on Pet Cemetery, Tales from the Crypt, Ernest Goes to Jail, a film I really like, man, because I'm a big Scott Bakula fan, and there's Kathy Ireland's in it, Necessary Roughness, it's a football film. Oh. Yeah. And he was also the cinematographer on a Hulk Hogan film. Want to guess it? Ooh, um... Ooh, how about... Ah, I have no idea. It's okay. Mr. Nanny. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, man. Okay, so our editor for this film is Claire Simpson. She was the editor on films such as Platoon, Wall Street, Tequila Sunrise, The Mambo Kings, Black Beauty, The Fan, Jacob the Liar, Stop Loss, Nine, and a recent film, The Snowman. Okay. Yeah, so I was like, that's some pretty cool credits. Music, this is an interesting character. Now, in the film, he gets credited as Cooper Hughes, but this is David A. Hughes. And he is a former band member in bands such as OMD. And OMD is Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. It's a 1980s band, so if you're familiar with them, he was a past member. He was also a past member of Thomas Lang and Dalek One Group. He was also the composer on films such as Leon the Pick Farmer, Stiff Upper Lips, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and The Ooh, Violators. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. It's fucking Good dope movie. film. Man. I love that film. Leon the Pig Farmer. For a second, I thought you were going to say Leon the Professional. Well, that film is going to get brought up here in a little bit. <laughs> Producer on this film is Andrew Bonheim. Our production companies are Chud Productions and New World Pictures. Yeah, Chud yeah. Productions. Distributors are New World Pictures. They were responsible for the 1984 USA theatrical release. Shapiro Glickenhaus Entertainment were responsible for the 1984 non-US theatrical releases. New World Mutual was the 1984 distributor for the Canadian release of this film. The budget for this film was an estimated $1.25 million. Opening weekend, this is dated September 3rd, 1984, during a limited release, it made $1.76 million, and it grossed $4.7 million domestically, which is kind of interesting when you think about this I'm film. I'm actually surprised it yeah. did that well. Given the time period, I can kind of see where that could happen. The release date for this film was August 31st, 1984. I've got three taglines for this film. All right, give them to me. Okay, the first one I got written down is ugly, slobbering, ferocious, carnivorous. That's the first one. Second one, they're not staying down there anymore. The third one, you don't want to know what it means. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of dig that last one. Yeah, that's pretty good. A lot of these are 
kind of a play on it a little bit. But okay, so that's the people I have behind the film. Now we can get into the cast, which I mentioned to you. There's a lot of people in this film that don't have a lot of time in this film, but they have some fucking crazy credits. So I'm going to go with our top build cast because there's some pretty cool people. Okay, so if we're going top build, then we're going to start with John Hurd, I'm guessing. I heard that. You heard? <laughs> you heard? You heard? So John Hurd, immediately, I think Home Alone. Oh, you can't help but think of Home Alone. One and two. He is Mr. McAllister, the father of Kevin McAllister, who was Macaulay Culkin. I, I mean, I feel like I've seen him all over oh, the place, dude. but when I was looking through his filmography... I've got a lot of films I've seen by him. That's that the thing, I realize there's a lot of movies that I've only seen clips of that I've never seen the whole thing. And so, I feel like there's one other one. Let me look at... Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, so here's the thing. The other reason why I recognize John Hurd. I will occasionally re-watch White Chicks just because of Terry oh, that's Crews. funny, dude. That movie's <laughs> fucking... I love the Waynes brothers and, you know, I'm talking about just Shauna Just because Marlin. of Terry Crews in that movie, He's I so will good. occasionally He's so funny. re-watch that movie. And John, I mean, John Hurd is in that. So that's kind of the other thing that I really placed him from. That's pretty funny. Here's some films I recognize him from. I oh, think and The Guardian. Uh, we were actually yeah. talking about Waterworld earlier. Yeah. And the end of The Guardian pisses me off because <laughs> Kevin Costner could not have drowned because he has gills. I take that reveal in, in Waterworld <laughs> to be canonical. I'm pretty yeah. convinced that Kevin Costner huh. actually has gills in real life. He might. He might. He might. I mean, I'm not entirely convinced that the rest of him isn't just an elaborate suit and he's actually kind of like fucking shape of water wow. underneath. <laughs> Damn, that might be a big reveal. <laughs> That's pretty funny. John Hurd, I recognized him from films growing up. One film in particular, I've actually been in the toy store that this film has an iconic scene oh, in. Oh, shit, big. Yeah. Tom Hanks film. What a good movie. Fucking love that film. I mean, that's a childhood film, and that's another one set in New York. But the scene where Tom Hanks is playing the floor piano was in FAO Schwartz Toy Store. I've been in there. At the time, I didn't even know I was in the store until I was actually out of the store. <laughs> Go figure. But that's a long story. We don't have time for that. All right, so he was in Big. He was also in a film my sister grew up loving. She's a big fan of the film Beaches. Oh, okay. Uh, she loves that fucking film. She knows who she is. We talked about Home Alone 1 and 2. He was also in the film Awakenings. was a really good Robert De Niro film. He was also in Radio Flyer. That's kind of a, a, a one I'll tug at the heart. <laughs> he oh, was in yeah. Gladiator. He was in the film In the Line of Fire. Right, well, he was in 1992 Gladiator. Yeah, uh, the boxing film, yes. Yeah, not, not, yeah. not the Russell Crowe. Exactly. That one, that one that you have pulled up is mm-hmm. really good, dude. It's a really good boxing film. Oh, by the way, let's not confuse people. He's not I know, yeah. in... No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> He's also in The Pelican Brief. You might have seen him in... The 1995 and 96 television series is the client as uh, Roy Fultrig. He was in Snake Eyes. I was about to say, if you're a fan of Nick Cage, you might have watched 98 Snake Eyes. Mm, Yeah, he was in Snake Eyes. He was in the film The Witness. I think he lent a voice in the film Animal Factory. He was in Pollock, the Jackson Pollock film. He was also in The Sopranos as Detective Vin McKazian. He was in CSI Miami. He was in the show Prison Break. You might have seen him on Entourage. He was in fucking Sharknado. (laughs) And he was also a part of the Elementary TV series, which is a really good show. Johnny Lee Miller, we mentioned him last week. 
Oh, and in an episode of B Star G. He was in some pretty cool shit. Now, unfortunately, he passed away, I think, last summer from a heart attack. So, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But uh, this is a really cool film, seeing in kind of one of his earlier films, too. Now, he does play George Cooper. That's one other thing I wanted to mention. Our next top-billed actor, I would say, is going to be Mr. Daniel Stern. Now, he plays A.J., the Reverend Shepherd, in this film. Wait, weren't we just mentioning Home Alone? I think we were. And if you're familiar, he plays Marv <laughs> alongside... Marv Merchants. Yeah, alongside Joe Pesci, who plays Harry. But yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting that you get to see both of these actors pre-Home Alone. Now, Daniel Stern, not his face. Well, I mean, obviously, like, Home Alone was huge. Oh, I loved no doubt. watching it as a kid. But he had a more recurring role in my life that I didn't realize for a long time. Because I loved The Wonder Years. Great show. Loved it. I, I grew up watching it as well. And he's the voice of... Kevin Arnold. Yeah. Yeah. He's the adult voice. The narrator, narrator. Basically, basically. Yeah. Which also... This is just going to be a small side note, but I, I, I highly <laughs> For those who like the show. look this up, but Wonder Years without the narrator, oh uh-huh. my god, it's ridiculous because there's like 30 second pauses where like the family are all just like awkwardly like looking around at oh each other my gosh. that like the narrator would just normally a, be going over. Just some B-roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I bet you that is kind of fucking awkward. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so Daniel Stern. He plays the Reverend in this. I might have seen him in a little film called Born in East L.A. Now, he probably wasn't in it for very long, but that is one I grew up because it has Cheech Marin in it. Mm-hmm. I think of ooh, City Slickers yes. and Bushwhacked. I loved Bushwhacked. Here's a few films I'll mention. He was in Little Monsters, which if you're a fan of Fred Savage and Howie Mandel, he was in that as well. He was also in... Rookie of the Year, which is a baseball movie that I watch because I'm a big Cubs fan. That's what it's about. He was also in the film Celtic Pride. He lent his voice on cartoon series such as Hey Arnold. He was actually Dilbert in the Dilbert cartoon series from 1999 through 2000. He was in the film Whip It, which I believe he was the father of Ellen Page's character in that film, if I'm not mistaken. He was also in Manhattan, the television series. Interesting fact is one of his sons, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say he's like a senator of a state. He's the father of California State Senator Henry Stern. So there you go. So yeah, I mean, he's gone on to produce some interesting progeny. From the uh, 27th District. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, so these are our top built guys. The next person I have written down, because he does have a big role in this film, is Mr. Christopher Curry, and he plays Captain Bosch in this film. Now, he's gone on to do films such as, which a film I grew up watching is really cool. It's a film called FX, not the uh, television station. (laughs) Uh, uh, Before we move completely off the fact that Henry Stern is is his son, I do want to point out that Henry Stern actually has a little bit of a place in Wonder Years history. Oh, yeah? He says the next to the last line in the entire series, when at the very end of fucking... Daniel Stern telling this entire story of his fucking life as a child, which is basically, you know, what the Wonder Years has been. It gets interrupted in the voiceover. His son calls to him from off screen. or Well, I mean, all of it's off screen anyways, because he's the narrator. But, it's, hey, Dad, do you want to play catch? And that was Henry Stern. That's pretty cool. So there and you he's go. like, yeah, I'll be right there. And that's the, the last. And that's how it ends. Nice, dude. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. 
interesting credit both ways. <laughs> awesome, man. Okay. So I mentioned Christopher Curry playing Captain Bosch. I mentioned the film FX. He was also in the film Last Exit to Brooklyn. He was in Hunter, the television series, The Return of Superfly. He was also in Quantum Leap from in 1992. He's in a movie I absolutely adore, a little Paul Verhoeven flick called Starship Troopers. Yes, he is. In which he plays Johnny Rico's father. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Johnny Rico. I haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> I used to like him in the 90s. Right. That's true. Yeah, but he's definitely in uh, Starship Troopers. Yeah, he's Mr. Rico. We talked about Home Alone. Now, if I told you that he was in Home Alone, which one would you guess he was in? Well, I actually know which one he was in, <laughs> so I don't have to guess. He was in Home Alone 3. Yes, he was. <laughs> Not the good sequel. Uh, he was also in Bullworth, which is actually a pretty decent film. He was in Star Trek Voyager. He was in the West Wing television series. And a small part in Red Dragon. Yeah. Tie back into horror. I got that written down. He was also in Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen. Feel like the show Glee. Well, we're, I'm not going to go off on this rant, but fuck Glee. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. No, I mean, just because it got brought up, I just, I'm going to just leave it alone right now, but fuck Glee. Anyway. <laughs> Touched a nerve. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, he was also in Heart of Dixie. He was in the movie Sully, and he's lent his voice in a lot of video games as well. That I haven't mm. written down, but if you, you know, like I said, if you look through, he's got his voice in several of them. Krim Greist, she plays Lauren Daniels. Now, she's also the live-in girlfriend of John Hurd characters, George Cooper. So and Kim this Christ is has her some, first movie. Yeah, it's her first movie. She has some really cool credits. Ooh, let's see. We just mentioned Red Dragon. Yeah. Well, she was in Manhunter. Certainly was. As Molly Graham. Yeah, really cool, man. She was also in a really cool Terry Gilliam film, Brazil. She that's was one her of the second flick. Yeah, man, and that's a huge role she took on too, man. She's like one of the main characters in the film. So uh, let me see. I was five when this movie came out, so <laughs> I think it I know was what you're gonna pretty say. much perfect for me. She was in Homeward Bound. She was. She was in Homeward Bound one and, and two. two. Yeah, she played like a mom. I think her yeah, lent a voice. Laura yeah. Burnford Seaver. Which is really cool. Now, she was also in a show I grew up watching. I don't know how many episodes. She might have been in one or two, but she was in Tales from the Dark Side, the television series. She was also in Chicago Hope, the television series, and The X-Files. And I used to watch a lot of Judging Amy. Yeah, I got a written down that. that yeah. so. <laughs> so she's gone on to do television, some film. But I think one of the films I think of most when I think of Kim Greist is Brazil. And now... Chud. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of actors I was talking about in this film. They have some wild roles, and they have some really cool credits past this film. I don't want to mention a whole bunch, because we'll sit here all day talking about yeah. them. To be honest, past those people, most of them have very bit parts, comparatively. Because the biggest name in this movie is in this movie for... I don't oh, know. 30 uh, seconds, maybe, total... I think it's a little bit longer than that because I think he's in, technically in that scene with Captain Bosch right beforehand, but he's mostly off screen and doesn't have any speaking parts during that particular scene. Okay. But I'm not even positive on that. You might be right. It might be 30 seconds total. And if we're thinking of the same person... John Goodman. <laughs> yes. He plays <laughs> a diner cop, is what I have him written down as. Mm -hmm. Now, John Goodman... 
we talked about films growing up, and one in particular is also a Nicolas Cage film. And the reason I remember this, because I used to watch it a lot, still one of my favorite Nicolas Cage films, is Raising Arizona. Love that film. Nice. I mean, we're going to keep it short on these guys, so if I'm going to go one film, John Goodman, going back into my childhood, uh, how about some Arachnophobia? Dude, fuck yeah. That's another one, early one too. One other television series, huge one, he was Dan and Roseanne. Roseanne. So huge credit. If you grew up during that time period, you know who he is. Next to him in the same scene for the same amount of time. Yeah, Jay Thomas. (laughs) Now this is also his film debut. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, he's gone on to do much larger projects. Now, he's another person, unfortunately, who passed away last year in August, uh, which is kind of crazy. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's that's kind of sad because just looking at his fucking picture, I'm like, oh, this is a motherfucker that I saw him all over the place. You know. Oh yeah. My childhood. So here's an interesting one. He was a part of the Mork and Mindy television series. He played Remo Da Vinci. So he started off there, like I said, to get his film debut here in Chud. Once we go past that, man, he's got some really cool ones. He was in Cheers as Eddie LeBeck. Mr. Holland's Opus. Yeah, that's a good film, dude. He was also in Freddy's Nightmare, part of the episode called Dream Come True. Basically, yeah, it's kind of sad he passed. Yeah, well, he's, he's kind done of like... sad that I didn't realize that, but... Okay. I also think he did some, uh, some television, like, cartoon. He was in part of, like, several Batman adaptations. It is mm-hmm. really cool. So yeah, it's so unfortunate he passed away. Like I said, he's in this film beside John Goodman, all of a minute maybe, which I think was really cool. Uh, some other people I have written down are John Polito. You know, when I look up John Polito, he's got some really cool shit. Oh, well, yeah, because he's in The Crow and The Rocketeer and Gangster Squad, which are all three movies that I dig. <laughs> yeah, and he was a part of a, a, like, a lot, if not all, of the Coen Brothers movies. Like, he's been in Fargo. Any Coen Brothers film you can think of, he's been in them. Like I said, he was in Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, and The Big Lebowski. That's some of the bigger ones that he was known for. Arima Williams, A Highlander. Dude, a lot of cool shit, right? A Tales from the Crypt episode. Mm, hell yeah. Bushwhacked. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I probably should have mentioned that sooner, but Bushwhacked. He was a voice actor also, if you're familiar with the television series Dinosaurs. Which I grew up watching. Oh, nice. Really? What? I didn't know that. Yeah. He was in Blank Man. <laughs> anyway, wait, wait. Is this motherfucker still alive? Because we've been kind of hitting a lot of guys that have... No, he died in 2016. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. So that's three people who've unfortunately passed. All right. So John Polito, he plays the newscaster in this film. It's a little bit later on in the film. That's his character. The next person I have written down because he... You can recognize his face. Even back then, till today, I have Sam McMurray plays Officer Crespi in this film. Now, Sam's got some really cool credits. He's been in a lot of films I grew up watching, too. I didn't look up this guy, so I have to look up a picture of his face right now because I'm curious. Well, like I said, he was in Raising Arizona as Glenn. He was in the film The Wizard, which is another Fred Savage film. Love that film. He was in The Simpsons. He's been several characters. He voiced Gulliver Dark and Duff Commercial VO. <laughs> he was in The Tracy Ullman Show. Married oh, okay. with Children. Yeah. yeah. He was in L.A. Story. He was in Home Improvement. Yeah, he did some Batman stuff. He was in Batman, the animated series as Pierce. He was in Adam's Family Values. He was also in Dinosaurs as Roy Hess, Stan, and Dolph. <laughs> we mentioned this show before. He was also in Party of Five. Shows. He was in Johnny Bravo. Yeah, a lot of television series, man, that this guy's been in. 
Oh yeah, you might have seen him in The King of Queens. I don't know if you ever watched any of that television oh, yeah. series. I, I watched a little bit. He was the supervisor, Patrick O'Boyle. Right. That's something I would have recognized him a little bit more in because I watched a little bit of that. And an episode of The Tick. Tick's always dope. He was also in Breaking Bad as Dr. Victor mm-hmm. Ravenic. <laughs> anyway, cool. yeah. we're, we're going down a deep McMurray yeah, rabbit hole. So he's in this film a little bit. Like I said, he's one of the officers in this film. Next person I have written down, he's got a little bit of a larger role. This gentleman, I know he's passed away, is J.C. Quinn. He plays Murphy. He's one of the reporters in this film. Now, he's been in some really cool stuff, too. Okay, so when I grew up, there's a couple of films I watched, and I would have recognized him in. One of the guys who was basically the football star in the film The Program. <laughs> have you ever seen that one? Oh, shit, yeah, The Program's a great movie. Right, now the actor who plays the quarterback, Okay. you know, he has struggles with his family, he comes from the wrong side of the tracks, whatever. Now the guy who plays the father of that actor's character is this gentleman. So I would have watched him okay. as the father of that character. Which is kind of a neat tie back into Nightbreed because that guy is the lead in Nightbreed. No, JC's also been uh, part of Quantum Leap. Maximum Overdrive. Yes, that was a big <laughs> one I was going to mention too. He was a Maximum Overdrive. He was in a film with John Goodman, who John Goodman played Babe Ruth in the film The Babe. So you might have seen him in that. When I'm looking at his filmography, what I probably would best have seen him in would have either been, ooh. Either The Prophecy. Yeah, he was definitely in The Prophecy. He was or, buried alive, too. Or possibly Days of Thunder. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. He was also in The Dawsons. The Dawsons, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to mention him because there was a couple of films that I recognized him from. So, But he has a bigger role in this film. George Martin, he plays an agent of sorts. He plays the character Wilson. And the reason I brought him up, and I think you see it, is he's the hotel receptionist in, in Leon, mm-hmm. the professional? Yeah, and he was in some pretty interesting roles. He had a well, really this interesting was his role in this debut film, if I remember. It right. looks like it is. He went on to do films such as License to Kill. He was in Dead Poet Society. He was in the film Awakenings I'd mentioned earlier. And we mentioned Leon, the professional. He was in the Quiz Show, and I think his final film credit was One Fine Day, or one of mm-hmm. his last film credits. I liked him in this film. He played a really good kind of sinister character. That's about all I'll say about Mr. Martin. The next person I've written down is Bill Raymond. He plays Victor. Now, Victor is an underground resident in this film. Bill Raymond. uh, Now, he's still around, which is really cool. This guy is like, he's almost going to be 80. He'll be 80 in September, September 9th. It was almost Never Forget Day. Now, we might have seen him in a film called 12 Monkeys. Mm. He was a microbiologist in that. He was in the film Lincoln as Skylar Colfax. He was in a George Clooney film, Michael Clayton, as Gabe Zebel. And we might have seen him in Summer of Sand as Father Cadill, which is a really good film. Summer of Sand was pretty awesome. All right, so now that there's the member of the cast. I, I got to bring this up, especially... I mean, we spent a fucking month talking about the character of Hannibal. And while he didn't appear on the show, Frankie Faison's in this movie... Yes, he is. I have him uh, written down as well. Who is probably most notably known, you know, or most known for within, you know, our sort of horror thing here. Oh, yeah. As Barney. I fucking love The Wire, so he's Irvin Burl in The Wire. Quite a few other things. He's another guy that, I mean, Max Overdrive, watching, yeah. Coming to America. Yep, I told you we were going to mention, mention that. <laughs> Oh, God, Money for Nothing. Do the Right Thing. That's a really good film. I'm not a a huge Spike Lee fan, but he's done some good films. 
Silence Thomas of the Crown Affair. Yeah, dude. Red Dragon, Hannibal. He's on all those films. The Langoliers. Cirque du Freak. That's <laughs> pretty cool. Oh, Luke Cage. He was great in Luke Cage. He was only in like two episodes, but he was... He's fucking... He's pop. Nice, dude. God damn it, he's pop. Yeah? Luke Cage. So good. That's awesome, so, man. So good. Gotta watch you some Luke Cage. Love you some Luke Cage. I love me some Luke Cage. Give me all that Luke Cage. I want to mention this person. This is a weird way of tying this film back into our show. There's a gentleman in this film. He's in it for all of, I'd say, no more than 15 seconds top. He's in a telephone booth scene. Oh, okay. Specifically. All right. This person is Peter Michael Gertz, and he plays Gramps in this film. Why did I mention him? And why did I mention a tieback into the fried squirms? Ooh, is it because now he gets of an his unex- time in the theater in Death of a Salesman? No. He gets an unaccredited role in the 2015 adaptation of Martyrs as a professor. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> right? And he was also in the show Arrested Development. He played Dr. Farmer. I started looking Twin at some Peaks. other stuff. Yeah, he was in Home Improvement. Uh, your favorite, Touched by an Angel. I love that. I can't help it. He was in Father of the Bride Part 2. It's like, what? Jumping Jack Flash. My Girl. Talked about... Oh, talk about Tearjerker. Yeah, and talking about Macaulay Culkin making <laughs> a comeback. Basically, everybody in this movie's worked with Macaulay Culkin. It looks like it in some fashion or another, but I saw a couple of his credits, and I was like, I'd have to mention this gentleman, even though he's in it for a little bit, but he's still around. The next person I have written down is Graham Beckel. He plays Val in this film. I would describe him as maybe an Ahab-ish character in this film. Okay. I have Michael O'Hare. He plays Fuller. We mentioned Frankie Vazon, which I thought was kind of neat. He's in it. He has a really badass part later on in the film. Mm. Hallie Foote, she is the waitress in that diner scene with Goodman and Thomas. I have Eddie Jones written down. I did want to mention him real briefly because there's a couple of things I'd recognize him from. Now, Eddie Jones, he plays Chief O'Brien in this film. And I mentioned to you off air that if you stuck some glasses and a cowboy hat on him, he'd remind me of Jim Ross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had him written down. And he was some pretty interesting things. I'll just mention a few. He was in a Tom Hanks film called The Terminal. He was in the film Seabiscuit. You might have seen him in a Robert Richford film called Sneakers. And he was also in Year of the Dragon. There's a few of his credits I wanted to write down. The next person, and the last person I have written down to round out our cast, and I told you that this is an interesting credit, but I have John Bedford Lloyd. He plays the Shadow Man character in this film. And the reason I have him written down is because... I'm a stoner, a self-admitted stoner, and one of my favorite stoner films is Super Troopers. Oh, yep. And he plays the mayor, Mayor Timber. Oh, no shit. Don't with the gun. <laughs> the shotgun. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck, right? So I was like, that's awesome. I have to mention this. Now, there was a film that was filmed in my home state, close to where I live, too, Parts of it were filmed, I think, uh, two sequences for Underwater. There was a film called The Abyss that came out in 1989. Right. It was filmed in Gaffney, South Carolina. I'm from Spartanburg. It's like maybe a 30-minute drive. But he played Jammer Willis in The Abyss. Really good film. Is that a Peter Benchley adaptation, or am I thinking of something else? Uh, It might be. I'm not too familiar, though. Okay. He was also in The Bourne Supremacy as Teddy, and he was in a Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy film, Trading Places. 
Oh, that's the one that gets all complicated at the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that rounds out our cast, the people behind the scenes. We've mentioned a synopsis. I think it's time to give a warning. Okay, warning. Well, there's a giant monster. There's multiple giant monsters. They're not too giant. They're a little bit larger than a human, though. They're pretty ugly. They are. The gore effects in this movie are really fucking good. Yes, there are scenes that are very... I would very put it on par... torn up bodies. With sleepaway camp. Some of their... Or higher, man. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, some of it, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. However, there's not much actual, like, violence in this movie. It's not a lot of, much. like, reaching, and then you cut there the, like, is. the a aftermath. a lot of pullaways, yeah. So you're not going to see much violence on screen, but when they run into gore... Oh, they show It's that. pretty nasty, and it's, like, bodies torn in half it's and shit like that. Like, big bites taken out of legs and language. There's language. Like, so there's some gore. There's a little bit of violence. I think they avoided all the nudity. There's a couple shots where it almost seemed like there was going to be, but nothing. No. I think that's about it. That I can think of. Yeah. There's Daniel Stern and John John Hurd. You heard? You heard? Let's get into this. Yeah. Let's see how this movie made us squeal. It's time to squeal. God, what's happening to me? Oh, God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh, God, what... What's going on? Oh, Jesus, come on. Oh my God, what's, what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh gee, why, why? Come on, somebody, somebody. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir, ah, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's got to be there. I will shock you. Come on, sir. Come on, sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? So here we are. And how does that make you squeal? And this is where we go. Balls in. If you don't want spoilers, fuck you. Guess what? This is where it happens. It's what you're going to get. Chud. There's monsters. There. Spoiled. Spoiled. We just ruined the whole film. (laughs) Even though the poster does that. So yes, 1984. Chud. It's one of those films that has grown a cult following, of course, since its release. And it's an interesting one because it has its moments, but it's kind of a weird horror movie. Let's start with how does Chud come on your radar? Because this one didn't come on my radar till probably, ooh, I can tell you, about 12 years ago. Okay. I didn't watch it till probably, ooh, more like eight years ago. But it didn't come on my radar till like 2006. Oh man, mine goes way back. So we talked about the poster now. The box art for films back in the 1980s, now you gotta think VHS era, right? If you're familiar with a mom and pop store, or just even like, you know, whatever change you had back then for video rentals, for the most part for you kids, walk man. Walking Hollywood video. Yeah, even if you do walk into Hollywood <laughs> or Blockbuster, you go and you look at the covers. You know, that's what most kids do. I did the same, and this is one that stood out, too. And I'm like, oh, Chud. So this is one I, I caught at an early age. I don't remember a lot of it as a kid. It wasn't until I was back in my 20s, like early 20s, that I got back in touch with it, so to speak. So I'm more familiar with it from that time period. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> Thank you, Obama. Thank uh, you, see, for me, Chud doesn't even come on my radar until a 2006 flick called Clerks 2. Nice. Schnugans. 
Dante's like, and what? Am I some hideous fucking chud? Exactly. So <laughs> last week, this was off air when we were trying to figure out what movie we were going to do for this week. I asked you a question about if you knew what a chud baby was. <coughs> oh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I first heard it as an insult. I've used it as an insult ever since Clark's 2. Right. I can't remember how far after hearing it in Clark's 2, I finally was like, what the fuck does he mean when he says chud? And so I looked it up online. I'm like, chud, fucking cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to watch this at some point. Eventually did. Honestly, of the th- now three times I've watched this movie. Yeah. Two times I've fallen asleep during it. Oh damn, I can understand. Which why. I'm not it's not necessarily a comment on the movie. No, no, just no, no, but the happens. times that I've chose to watch it were just not good. So. I've been there, man, with a lot of stuff lately. So it's quite understandable. So those are some of our you know, brush ins with this film because it's been around for a while now. Wait, now, now for you, Chud Baby. So, oh, yeah, yeah, I did mention that. I brought that okay. Up. First off, what now, Chud Baby goes back <laughs> to odd. when did you first hear this term, Chud Baby? I would wager, I'm not even shitting you when I say this, too, probably sometime in the early 90s. I know it was referenced back to this, and it was an insult as well. You know, it's something you would say to somebody to kind of shut them down. And I always took it too, like a Chud Baby was just like what it sounds like yeah fucking baby of a fucking chud yeah you've seen a chud <laughs> you've seen a chud if you've seen one chud you've seen them all yeah <laughs> all right so they all look the same exactly no i might Ugly. not have known the reference directly but i knew what a chud baby meant in you know you thought you knew what a chud baby meant <laughs> yeah exactly i thought i knew i didn't know so now i know now, I'm woke. now give us the urban dictionary chud baby urban dictionary defines chud baby a hyphenated word as a baby formed... Now, in your head, did you think it was hyphenated? Or did you just always think of it as... I thought it was just two separate words. Chud oh, baby. chud baby. Okay. Yeah. A baby formed from filthy and or dilapidated used condoms that inseminates an ovum in the grimy gutter or trash receptacle in a major metropolitan area. The ovum is usually the result of one day or more old hooker vaginal secretions. So that is the first entry, and there's like three others. I'm not going to go through all of them, but that's a loose way of looking at what a chud baby means. When you call somebody a chud baby, that's what you're calling them, which means I'm not probably going to use the term chud baby because I needed stronger insults than the ones I was using. <laughs> if you're familiar with Urban Dictionary, they've got some good ones. There's probably some humor that's going to rub <laughs> people the wrong way. So that's why I'm not going to go through all of them. But that gives you a general idea of what Chud Baby means. Now, I didn't know that definition. I just thought it was like, you know, a deformed, fucked up looking baby, essentially. All right. So now as far as this movie goes. Jesus, yeah. Since the first time I actually got through it 100% was this morning. I don't dislike it by any means. Yeah, not my favorite. Yeah. It's I, Okay. I would say amongst all the films that we have done, and I was thinking about this as I finished my second viewing of it, after I'd taken my notes for it as well, was like, how do I rank it amongst all the other films that we've done? And I was like, you know what? It's like, I think I still would watch this over Belko Experiment. I, that's starting to get to be a toss-up for me, but uh, probably. Yeah. I think it's even maybe in the arena of like, what, how would I watch this? Would I watch this over Halloween 3? Or do I watch Halloween 3 over this? No, see, I think I'd watch Halloween 3 over Belko. Oh, I'd definitely over Belko, yeah, yeah. but I mean, when oh, I watch Chud over... I'd, I'd probably watch I think I'd watch Halloween, Halloween 3, 3 over I think, this. I think because of the Tom Atkins factor. Mm-hmm. 
and because of breasticles, but that's a different subject matter altogether. All right, so I would say, yeah, it's a weird and interesting entry into our catalog. It's a good one, though. There's a lot of really cool actors. I think the storyline's pretty decent, too. Storyline's okay. I mean, it's, the storyline's good. Yeah, I like it. If you um, yeah, if you buy into it, yeah. I just so for me, this is another one of those movies where I do feel like I would dig a remake. It could use of one. Chud. It could definitely use one. And I think that there's fun ways that you could like update it to modern times. Exactly. See, that's the thing. The thing I did like about this movie is it made me feel like. You can use a lot of this movie as a framework and really like work in some more hard-hitting, deep themes. You could. Especially these days where people aren't as afraid to go dark and gritty. Yeah, that's a good point. So here is my kind of broad <laughs> thoughts on an updated version that nobody fucking asked for. And I'm sorry to bore you all <laughs> with, as I sat there and got stoned this morning... <laughs> And got my ass through this movie. This is what I was sort of thinking about the entire time. That was far more entertaining than the movie that I was watching, but it was all based on what I was seeing. And, you know, this is still just my own personal experience. Maybe you like Chud. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think you could update it. Get rid of the fact that it's, like, radioactive materials, if you're updating it, and make it tainted to some sort of weirdly tainted drug. Yeah, on you the could. street, sort of like a good point. Yeah, a commentary on the yeah. opioid crisis. I could see that. Yeah. Now here's my other idea, and this is just because I'm a Lovecraft fanboy. I think you could twist the John Hurd character, who's the major photographer, and make his subplot based around Lovecraft short story Pickman's model. In Pickman's model, this friend slash fan of this painter whose works were too controversial and on edge and grotesque and got thrown out of the local art society or whatever. He's at one of his personal estates or something, I guess. It's not an estate, like it's in like the dirty, grungy part of town, which, by the way, fits in with this movie. It does. This movie is grimy. Right? Grimy, it all has to deal with the underground and underground dwellers, so you'll see where I'm going. He has this personal gallery in, like, the grimy part of town. We're going to leave out the fact that the description of this town in this short story is one that highlights Lovecraft's racism. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's not very overt. Okay. uh, But when you're reading through it, there's lots of mentions of the dirtiness of the immigrants in the area and such different things. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of known. It's not. A, it shouldn't be a spoiler at this point. <laughs> if you're um, but he's there, and they, he's going through all these works, some of which I think he'd seen before. But this is, you know, one of his private galleries, and it's like some of these scenes of like people almost being like sacrificed almost to these like canineish underground creatures, yeah. humanish, canineish, kind of like werewolfy underground creatures. And as he goes further and further in. They get to this point where he sees this just amazing, I believe it was like life size of like one of them just standing over this body that had just ripped in half. And there was a photograph to the side that was a reference photograph. And during that time period, you hear there's like a commotion off in the other room. And Pickman, who's the curator and the artist, has to run off into the other room 
and there's sounds of a commotion and he unloads his six shooter and he comes back and he's like, I had to take care of some rats. Uh, And the other guy, the narrator in his being startled accidentally rips the photograph off in his hand and he forgets all about it and he leaves. And as he leaves the place, the reference photograph, which he thought was for the background of the photo, he finally checks it. And it's a photograph of one of the creatures as a reference photograph. And Pickman's known about them the entire time and has basically been, like, feeding them (laughs) and has been in league with them. Jesus. And that's what he's basing all these hyper-realistic, grotesque masterpieces on. That's pretty neat. I think you could work influences from that storyline into John Hurd's storyline in an updated version. Especially because he's not the only one taking photographs in this movie. Because there's also, like, Daniel Stern's character has a set of photographs as well. Yeah, I mean, they nabbed. It was... Uh, yeah, they nabbed them. Cooper's, but th- there's ways Dunhurst, that you could yeah. set up... There's ways well, that you right. could set up other characters to be sort of the person underneath who eventually learns that he knew about them all along and he's been exploiting them. Yeah. In Very an updated well, yeah. version. That could be the Stern... That's really and I cool. think you could do a lot more things to play with the fight at the upper levels between like Bosch and all the people behind like the dumping of the shit. Yeah, you know, exactly. However you would frame it in the updated huh. version. That would be interesting, um, yeah. And the chuds would really just be pawns caught in everyone else's game. With yeah, no... just kind of suck in the middle. And, you know, that's that's sort of like... These people are dealing with it on this high level, in these high conceptual terms, and it'd be very much like proper ways to deal with the poor. If you based it around the drug crisis, you could very much like throw in like, why aren't we just like setting up like safe zones for these people and stuff. Exactly. As ways to sort of combat chudness (laughs) in, you know... But obviously it would still be like a fucking monster movie and stuff, but I feel like there's ways you can take this framework and make it into a far more important movie. You could. And that's the kind of thing about this film itself is, you know, we get the idea that the larger picture is, you know, there's nuclear waste that is passing through that has been dumped underneath New York, right? They set up a lot of weird bureaucratical notions where you could really have scenes of like, ideas being we well, yeah, like said the conceptual thing yeah and the <laughs> the neat thing or i guess the weird thing too is they don't have large groups of people orchestrating it as it was wilson basically right so you get at least one baddie i suppose the bad guy but i didn't really look at him like that i was like yeah maybe he is but not really because he worked for a larger corporation the government and i don't know it's just kind of weird like we know that they're dumping the chud well, a, yeah. <laughs> and creating chuds out of homeless people. They're doing shit on the down low that's very unethical and definitely makes them the bad guys. But even if they weren't doing that, they wouldn't be able to get rid of the waste anyway yeah. because of the bureaucratic policies And they've made that known, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're, it's a catch-22, you know, at that point. Not an entire catch twenty two because no, they pretty, didn't. Yeah, yeah. they it's they were close. definitely being they exploited. Yeah, irresponsible for the sake of making a buck. I'm guessing they don't yeah. really explore that too much. You know that they're doing uh, it, but you don't quite know. That's usually why. what happens in your bureaucracy. You're sort of left to assume what the larger <laughs> picture is. Yeah, which probably doesn't get 
I've never watched the sequel, but probably doesn't get addressed. I don't think I have either. I was thinking the term Chud Baby. All right. We'd mentioned this as spoilers. So I want to jump way into It sort of just seems to me like if you're going to be doing some stupid, unethical shit like that, you'd at least be doing it in like a place nobody cared about rather than fucking New York, where if even the smallest thing goes wrong, you're affecting a fucking million people and everybody suddenly knows about it. Especially when you're the government. Now suddenly you have everybody pissed off at you. (laughs) There's a scene with Kim Grice's character, Lauren. She's fighting a chud that broke into the apartment. And as she's slicing its head off, it bites her. That never really develops because it's like anybody who's been attacked by these chuds tends to transform into a chud themselves, as witnessed by Victor's character. Oh, yeah. I was going to add on. Dark update. Oh, after that happens, she starts getting more and more pregnant quicker and quicker because it's fucking Chud Baby. Well, and she, she is dies pregnant. when the Chud It's revealed baby, yeah. that she's pregnant. I was thinking, is that what the sequel's about? And I looked, is it, it no. <laughs> oh. See, yeah. Dark gritty update. After she gets bit, she has she, the Chud Baby. She or Chud Baby rips its way out. Yeah, it yeah. It shuds its like, way out. Like it could be it could be maybe that's how the um dead alive baby is explained. <laughs> Or she realizes what's happening because she suddenly starts getting more and more pregnant quicker and quicker. And what almost was the most horrifying scene in the movie, which if this was the mid-2000s French version, we definitely would have seen. So I almost fainted. I almost, (laughs) I, I didn't know why she had a fucking reason for going there. But in the fucking shower, when she grabs the fucking... Coat hanger? The coat hanger. She had an it moment. I wonder if that's where inspiration came from. She fucking... So, I mean... Huh. Because they're playing with sewers, man. So visuals anyway, it's already fucked up enough that the pregnant woman in, in the shower grabs the coat hanger. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and she's already unplugs mentioned. the hole and it fucking oh, erupts wow. blood at her. That's exactly what that is. They have a conversation, she and John Hurd, mm-hmm. about the other option. And so, Gritty Reboot... She knows she has a chud baby and self-aborts in that scene. And at the end, does it or does it not live? Down the drain. I think there's two ways you could go. And one would be it chuds out of her at the end or she figures (laughs) it out earlier. Yeah, and and she gets rid of it. And she gets rid of it herself. That'd be interesting, man. (laughs) But I was thinking that too. I was like, well, she does get bit. We know that at the end there's X amount of people who survive it, right? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's talk about the end real quick. Yeah. If we're going to talk about ridiculous shit in this movie, how about we talk about the most ridiculous thing I know in what you're going to say. Or I hope there's two things that you could say. One, I have a leaning towards, does it involve a van? How the fuck does the van blow up? <laughs> I know that it doesn't make sense when you first see it. Now, here's something I caught while writing my notes. And this gives a lot more clarity, at least in, in my perception of the film. Wilson has a conversation about the manholes while the diner scene gets investigated, right? You have that big mob of people looking on. Right. So he's mentioning, this is Wilson, mentioning to a group of people about covering up the manholes because of the gas. They also talked about driving those vans over the manholes. And he does say this. I'll give him credit because it makes more sense now thinking about it. He says, now be careful because we're pumping gas through those. He says, if there were to be like somebody rolling over in the manholes, it could cause an explosion. He even says it. 
So watching that scene, I was I was thinking too. I was like, "What the fuck? Where did that come from?" Right. So my only problem is the explosion does not come from the gas. It comes from obviously from like the engine. It would have to come from some kind of like tiny spark of some sort when yeah, it dips. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, that's the only explanation I can give it. Other I than still, that, it's just like, what the fuck? I know what you're saying. And there saying, would still yeah. be gas coming up, so if anything, it'd be like this gout of fucking flame, just like... Ooh, yeah. It wouldn't be... A, it's kind of like a barrel fire <laughs> at the end. <laughs> it's kind of weird for homeless people in this place. And, and that's only if the gas is exiting fast enough. If the flame goes um, down in there... Oh, man. It could have suddenly, massive Now we're talking about a giant explosion, not... <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. It's getting spread all throughout that radius they had it pumped into. Ten block? At least. So, I mean, I'm, they might have tried to explain it. But yeah, but no, I know what you mean. As far as that whole, I, I don't know, maybe they had X amount in the budget, and they're like, we just got to try to pull this and shit And it wasn't off. a fucking Pinto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny, man. What are some of the things that you do like about this film? I mean, the creatures are awesome. Yeah, they did a really good job for what they had. And now, we have to think... This was a time period where they did not have CGI. They could incorporate for, you know, these type of films. I mean, the effects in general were awesome. There was parts of the soundtrack that were really, really good. There was some really there good There was no parts sounds. that were bad. Yeah, I liked it a lot. There was no parts that were bad, but there was parts that were really good. I think of Greist barricading herself. She was um, smart. She didn't try to be a victim. Right. The score that's going on behind all that is pretty really fucking good. great. Yeah. I think the score reminds me, and you can't help me, I mean, it is the 80s, but that's the quintessential 80s sound for horror. Oh, that reminds me of the other thing I'd make up. The police sort of show up there, and the chud is already there, and it just sort of offs them when they go to fucking check yeah, on her. Yeah, that's it for them. If you're doing a version that's really like amping up like the Bosch versus the people in charge... And they're sort of having like a big feud, even just over the morality of it all and all that bullshit. Then you could have it instead of the police going there to check on her, it could be their people going to also take her out. Ooh, yeah. And her yeah, getting hunted through the entire building mm. and the monsters and the police just encountering each other at different times through that. Gosh. And maybe she takes out one of the police herself as well. Like, all right, for a. Modern adaptation, I was thinking, we talked about maybe a little bit of the French horror with Bent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who would we give it to? Oh, shit. I don't know. I didn't <laughs> the think guy that from on the guy I'm not from... going to get it anyway. And <laughs> I, I wouldn't go completely French horror Bent. Yeah. I'd just like to see it I'm dark. It, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that they could really, I guess, to boil it down a little bit, is to exploit a little bit more, mm -hmm. you know, or to explore a little bit more as well. I think some of the things that I liked about this film just thinking about it one thing like that if stern was doing something really fucked up to I use was, the soup kitchen go, keep I, it going i was thinking about stern and some of the things that he says to he's people, like sucking councilman dick to keep the soup kitchen going or something he doesn't take any shit from any of these guys which i thought was like how many times in films do you see that like where somebody who's running a soup kitchen who's the reverend mouth off a captain he introduces Val. I was talking about the Ahab kind of character. Mm -hmm. He was one of the underground dwellers who visits or frequents that soup kitchen who actually made it out. He's the kind of nervous, oh, prophesizing. Yeah. And I was like, well, first off, you'll never see that now in modern film where someone will take a stab at a police officer, let alone like a captain, mm -hmm. and not get locked up or tased or shot or what have you. 
depending on. He just color. backs up and he's like, he's like, I warned you, man. <laughs> You're not welcome here, bro. So there's just like some of the conversations, like it's hard to imagine this for modern day audiences and let alone younger you know, audience viewers or people, you know, just growing up now, it would be hard for them to relate to that kind of thing happen, especially in the 80s, you know? They were getting away with a lot of shit like that. He was mouthing off, this is Stern's character, mouthing off to Wilson, <laughs> like, threw his shit across the table, mm-hmm. exposed him, essentially. So I like Stern a lot. Like, he was very... See, exposed Very him. aggressive what in his character. What if he was the one that he was sucking off? And so in the updated version, he could really expose him. He could. I mean, he could be... Photos that are session. <laughs> Photo session. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different ways you could use his character, but I liked him a lot. We talked about Faison, and I want to talk a little bit about the effects that go into some of this stuff. Just a little bit. I like the flamethrowers they use. That was a pretty cool effect for that time period, too. They use some people with that. There's a couple of people I've got written down because they're responsible for the chuds. One guy in particular ties back into the Godfather of special effects. I, th- I kind of mentioned that to you, right? Okay, so the special chud makeup was created by John Caglione Jr. Now, he's done some special effects for films like Friday the 13th, the second one, part two, a film that I think it would be kind of neat to cover at one point, Basket Case. He's done a David Bowie film, The Hunger, Amityville 3D, Manhunter, The Blob from 1988, Dick Tracy, did some stuff for SNL, Blair Witch Part 2, The Sopranos, etc., etc., etc. Now, while he was, I think he was working in a dental lab, and at the time that he was doing that, he was honing his prosthetic makeup techniques under the guidance of Dick Smith. Godfather uh, special effects, which we mentioned on our doesn't make dildos. He's not no, a Dick no, 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 no. <laughs> He's not a Dick Smith, <laughs> literally. But uh, I thought it was kind of neat, man. I was like, you know, we did Scanners, Cronenberg film, which Cronenberg just had a birthday recently, seventy-five years old. Happy yeah, birthday! Yeah, way to go. Related, yeah. But I was like, damn, I never thought covering this film I'd be talking about Dick Smith <laughs> again in this capacity. But I thought it was kind of neat, man. And the other person who was responsible for, like, the design concepts for Chud was Tim Boxel. It's like, that's pretty neat, man, because it was just practical stuff, and Mm -hmm. they had to use practical effects. Yeah, the creatures, the effects, those were all dope. I think the storyline is a great framework. I think everything was just kind of hit on kind of shallowly for what was kind of implied. And a lot of the narratives, it was very procedural. By the way, that's also kind of uh, my review for Pacific Rim Uprising. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I kind of like it, man. Like I said, it's 1980s. For me, it's nostalgic. It's not a great film. It's not a bad film. It's like, I'll put it this way. If you had a stack of a few films, this was in it, and you had some that weren't that great, I'd definitely go for this one. I'm like, yeah, let's put it in Chad. It's fun. In the sense that it's got good characters. I mean, the characters are solid because of the actors who portray them. Like, everybody mm-hmm. who does their part does a really good job. Even the bit players, they do a good job. Yeah. Yeah, for me, though, mostly this movie, I'm glad I watched it, but I'll mostly just still be using Chud as an insult rather than looking <laughs> to rewatch this. <laughs> yeah. Here's something I think he was neat about this film. Now, as an April Fool's joke, the Criterion Film Collection announced that they were going to release a special edition, like a two-disc DVD and Blu-ray release. And they were going to give it a spine number of like 573. Mm-hmm. That went to a different film. That film was The Music Room from 1958. Now, Arrow Video, who comes out with some pretty dope films, cult classics, 
films like we're reviewing today. Now, they did release a special edition Blu-ray of Chud in 2016, double disc, some really cool commentary from the director, I think Daniel Stern, some others, and then it has some later interviews with people who actually worked on the film, you know, behind the scenes, so some really cool shit, man. I was kind of interested. I might, down the road, maybe pick that up, just for nostalgia's sake. Uh, I do wish I would have wrote them down. I guess there's, there's a few people in this movie that have some really good lines, really good line delivery. Um, uh, maybe not to the point of some of the other movies we've watched, but there's quite a few of them. Like, honestly, there's there's some scenes where there's just like characters giving awesome lines back they to back. Do. But. There's one I like. It's kind of cheesy. It's kind of, you know, in the moment. There's a scene after John Hurd and Kim Greist, their characters decide they want to keep the baby or have a baby. And they're laying in bed, and he takes the phone call, and he's like, you know, if you want to leave a message, beep. He lays it down and hits that guy he's been contacting him the whole mm-hmm. time on the phone. He's like, I'd like to laugh too. <laughs> you know, he's like, I want to know what's so funny. I'd like to laugh too. <laughs> I'd like to laugh too, George. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. It's like in the moment, it's just like an obscene kind of. I wish I would wrote it. There was <laughs> a couple things that I liked. Uh... There's some funny shit back and forth, like you said. Some good liners. I think the guy who played Bosch, Christopher Curry, man, he was really good in this film mm-hmm. as the captain. Like the only thing I thought was kind of funny was, and I use funny loosely, but it kind of awkward maybe for his character was like how detached he was from his wife's death. Oh, yeah, I mean, he had, like, the one scene in the bar, but that was... That was just kind of like, all he was recalling was, like, she went to college, and she was studying, and then she would take the dog out for walks, and then they discovered... And that was kind of, like, my alluding to that sleepaway camp where they find the person underneath the boat. Oh, right. (laughs) That kind of reminded me of that that sequence or that scene a little bit. But here's an interesting fact. The lady who plays Flora Bosch, Captain Bosch's wife is the actual real-life wife of Daniel Stern. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. It's Lori Matos. They've been together since, I think, October of 1980. Wow. Yeah. Got on them. Still together? Yeah. Well. Yeah, they have, I mean, outside of their congressman senator, we said, or something like that, from yeah, California. Yeah, senator. Yeah. Senator's son. Who also had one of the last lines <laughs> in the Wonder Years. Her son. Mm-hmm. They have three children together. Not them, but Daniel Stern and she. So that was kind of neat. But yeah, she plays the opening sequence. Lady who's walking the dog. It's snatched up and later discovered. Had oh, locked yeah, that kind of fucked up. Yeah, that's Daniel Stern's real oh, life wife. we should have mentioned that. I would have warned about that if I would have thought about it. Oh, the dog, too. Yeah. We should have. Nah, yeah, something. I mean, if you're in this part, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, too late no, now. no yeah. animals were harmed. No, but you see a hanging dog. That's yeah, you do. Up. You get to see little... Foo-foo. It was kind of cute little dog. It too. was a cute dog. I would have been pissed off. They hung her dog. Hung her dog. Oh, here's something I do want to mention. The little kid that was playing with the ball. Right, okay. <laughs> I, I liked it because it was like... I mean, they do incorporate little kids in film, you know, doing shit like that. But it was just... It was weird how the kid was just aimlessly playing with a little ball near the radiator, blah, blah, blah. I was trying to even open the fucking door. I was like, oh, my God, don't do that. And the mom was calling him back and whatever. But the way that they broke in, and when I say they, the chud, mm-hmm. like you said, it just smashed and then pulled back. And that was the last you saw of it. The homeless lady whose brother Victor got his leg bitten. Oh, right. Do you remember her last scene in the film? No. She gets pushed down 
by oh, Daniel Stern. Oh, I take that back. Yes, I do. <laughs> she has yeah. a gun. She has a gun. He pushes and her, and he runs into the into the fucking frame and pushes her over. Oh, and that's it. That was it. That's all it took. That's it. <laughs> she was weak and feeble and homeless, and all it took was a shove. <laughs> but that was it. He has a fucking a duh moment in this film. His character. Where he finds, I put down like a nest of those chuds, and they're kind of like, oh yeah, you know, they're glorifying, like <laughs> glorifying their nuclear waste. That was weird too. Yeah, but he like he makes that little slip, and you know, it's like, look, this is what you're trying to get away from, and now you become fixated with it, and it got you in trouble, and so forth and such. It's like I understand it was kind of a plot point, but that's not very realistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he, out of most of all the characters in the film was more level-headed and knew that there was monsters. So why would he become fixated with that and try to go toward it? That doesn't make sense. Anyway, that's just my little take on that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, outside, I yeah, it's just like, that's just like... Like I said, I, I mostly made just a whole different movie in my head when I watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can go there. Like, as you say, it has a really good frame. It has, like, all these different tells interwoven into, of course, a larger picture. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact, like, so that you get to see... A lot of familiar faces in cinema, especially growing Goodman. up. Yeah, I love seeing John Goodman in an early role. He plays an interesting character in this film. It's just hitting on the waitress. Yeah, giving her the old lip, <laughs> and his buddy there's just kind of laughing. <laughs> you know, his wingman. Mm-hmm. But there's funny moments like that you don't get to see very often. But yeah, I mean, I would recommend this to somebody who maybe wants to get a slice of that piece of cinema. Yeah. Good little 80s monster movie. I would sure. first ask, you know, like how we do. Have you seen this? Have you seen that? Okay, try this one. Yeah, there you go. Chud. Yeah, I wouldn't just throw it to any old buddy. Oh, but for those like, who might yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, that was okay. And I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> I just want to see what you thought. <laughs> but yeah, it's a fun Maybe film. Maybe loved it. I'm, I'm positive there's people out here there that fucking super dig this movie. Oh, that's what I'm saying. It's a cult classic percent, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, not me. No, I mean, but I don't. Not, I don't have anything against it, though. I don't Definitely. either. I don't either. There's some really good moments. We had mentioned this before. The gore is good, and you know, good score. Nothing Fucking wrong. Just a weird ending. A hell of a it, shover. Th- that's the only problem I have with this film. Really, that's my biggest gripe. Is the ending, the way it just leaves off. You don't get any kind of full resolve. What happened to the Chuds? What happens to Bosch? I mean, what yeah, to you're Stern? supposed to assume that. What happens to Cooper and Chud Baby Lady? Yeah, you're supposed to assume the Chud's asphyxiating the gas. But you now would think. a place for the gas to escape. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Well, there is a sequel. And we right. mentioned that it doesn't have anything to do with Christ and her baby. Chud baby. Her Chud baby. Chud, that's what I was thinking. I was like, she got bit. She's going to have a Chud baby. <laughs> and Cooper's going to have to raise it. John Hurd. <laughs> a Chud baby that's somehow less disgusting than the actual Urban Dictionary oh, version. Man. I'm going really far with this. It's like, maybe the Chud baby was Kevin. <laughs> the <Gallister. laughs> And that's why he was trying to leave him home alone. <laughs> right. He was a Chud baby. He's the Chud baby. I'm just, yeah, I'm goofing. But, okay, for moving on from that, that's about all I have to say. On a scale of 1 to 10. Oh, shit. I don't know. I don't want to go a scale of 1 to 10. 1 to 5. One to, 1 to 2. <laughs> scale 1 to 2. <laughs> <laughs> how many Chuds out? How many Chuds? I give it two different acronyms for Chud. <laughs> yeah. Do we ever mention what Chud means? 
Like the acronym for Chad? The real acronym? No, we didn't, did we? Do we mention either one of them? There's two. Yeah, I mentioned the cannibalistic humanoid, humanoid underground okay. dweller. The other one was the contamination, contamination, hazardous, hazard, urban disposal. disposal. Yeah. So that was the that was supposed to be the real one. Chud was given to. I mean, but it, they were both right. Mm-hmm. I was like, Chud, the contamination one, gave birth to Chuds, <laughs> the cannibalistic ones. True. True. Which one does the movie title relate to? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. But that's where the cliffhanger is. And that's where the beauty is. Somebody What's can re-update this film, Chud? put John Goodman back in it. What if I rub Chud on my pud? <laughs> Chud on my crud. I wanted to mention that too. There was, you don't see that ever now. Like how grimy people were. Even the lead characters are grimy. Yeah. Dirty. People were wearing like just same day clothes. Everyday clothes. Stern was pretty grimy. He was. He even tried to give like a little, what I call bird baths. Some people call whore baths. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hoe bath. <laughs> no hoe bath. But, Taking a hoe bath or two in my time. The next time, if you decide to watch this, this is for anybody. As I was watching this film, this is one last little note. Notice how many people are using a phone in this film. Pay phones, house phones. Not cell phones. You don't see that. I mean, that's pre, of course. Mm-hmm. But I was looking for it. I was like... Holy shit, almost every single character in this film at some point is on that damn phone. <laughs> hey, man, you gotta, you gotta keep in touch. There was important conversations. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Good. You better be able to, because we're on goddamn landline. I thought that <laughs> was funny. This shit sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just made a little weird don't note. don't miss this. <laughs> Maybe they got some kind of weird promotion. <laughs> but I thought it was kind of neat. But outside of that, yes, I'm glad we watched it. It was fun. I would give it... On a scale of one to ten, I think I rated it somewhere like in its in the sixes, six, seven, five, six. I would even go as high as seven point two five. Yeah, a seven. Um, I'll give it. A you heard? You heard? <laughs> Chud, you heard? You heard? Look, it's forever going to be part of my vocabulary. So we can't help. That's it. what it gets. Oh, one last. That's what it gets. Forever being a part of my life. One last thing I had written down. I'm sorry. I, I do need to mention this. The Simpsons. It is referenced in a Simpsons episode. Chud. Of course it is, because the Simpsons have referenced everything by now, right? Homer Simpson mentions Chud in the episode, The City of New York versus Homer Simpson. He mentions Chuds. Nice. Yeah. Way to go, Homer. We don't have anything picked out for next week, do we? No, we don't. We do have some picked out for some future ones coming up in Very April. Very quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's just like right around the corner. But since we don't know that, we're going to go figure that out. Yeah. So to keep up with us as we give you a mystery episode next Ooh. week. It's a mystery. Mystery. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, no, before that. Okay. We did have fucking news this week. Some big news. God I know it, damn We it. didn't mention that before, but I know where you're going. I know where we're getting at. So I guess if you've made it this Gosh. far, we should have put this <laughs> at the beginning. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. We're stoned. Jafar 3 is dropped. You can continue to see our lovely faces oh informing you on how to do a proper job in the world of grocery stocking. There's some really interesting new characters, as far as I'll say, in this. That I know that that sounds boring, but seriously, oh it's, it's only going to be like four minutes of your life. and It could like, be life changing. I don't want to give away too much on no. it. It's more than what it is. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of everybody that's involved. 
I'm so excited. It's, it involves a bunch of people that have been on the show before. So please, that is YouTube. Jafar, just a friendly reminder. Episode 3, Facing. Episode 2 was Rotation. rotation. Episode 1 was Customer, customer service. service. Please go check those out. We had a lot of fun doing that. But in order to keep just listening to us and not seeing our beautiful, beautiful faces, <laughs> I would love it if you'd hit subscribe. We would both whatever, love it. However you're listening to it. If you don't want to continue listening to it on the platform you're currently listening to, you can go to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There's links up at the top to the most popular platforms. You can always stream us down at the very bottom of the Latest page. episodes. You should let us know if we're not on the streaming service that you most often use. There are several ways you can contact us. Squirmcast at gmail.com. There's a contact part on our website. It works. It's verified. We're up on the Facebooks, Fried Squirms, the Instagrams, Fried Squirm Podcast, and the Twitters at Fried Squirms. You can always Twitter us. Send us pictures. Did you say twiddly skeet? Twiddly skeet. And if you do like us, pass us along to your friends. Yeah. And if you're fellow podcasters, hit, hit us, us up. up. We would love to do, like, collabos. So. Yeah, we're fun. I mean, I know I, I try to do my part. I listen to several. I try to communicate, branch out. I do a lot of shit. So. No, we, we both <laughs> do. We both contribute in a lot of different ways. Uh, but that's all I have for this yeah. week. So I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. out.